You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, honorary Newfoundlanders? Welcome back to our second episode of Conversations from Away, a new podcast to encourage dialogue over social issues and topics that we don't speak on enough and are willing to get uncomfortable as a means to learn and grow together. My name is Aaron Michael Ray, and thank you for joining us for our second episode. Now, this episode was previously recorded prior to the 2020 election, and we had some amazing guests from our Come From Away Tour family join us for this episode. The first question that I asked them was, can you introduce yourselves and tell us how you plan to cast your vote, whether it's by absentee, uh, mail-in ballots, in person, how do you plan to do that? We'll start with Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm the wardrobe supervisor, and I'm planning to vote by mail. Hi, I'm Julia Nitel. I play Janice and others, and I am actually going to vote in person this year, but I will also be a poll worker, which I think we're going to talk a little bit more about later. Oh, yes, we will definitely be talking about that. <laughs> Who's next? Sean, how about you? Hello, uh, I'm Sean. I play bass for the show. And I am also planning on doing the same thing. I'm planning on voting in person and I'm planning on volunteering at the polls. And last but not least, Harder. Hi, I'm Harder Klingman. Uh, I play Oz and others. And I'm an Illinois voter. And I'm planning to send in for my mail-in ballot and drop it off in person. Nice. I will also be voting for, not for Illinois, but I'll be voting for Texas. Um, and I will be doing a absentee. So I'm excited to vote for my home state. Now, uh, last episode, we talked about how 2020 is proving itself to be the year of change, whether we like it or not. And nothing says change like the most important presidential election of our lifetime happening less than two months away. That's Really scary to say that. Um, this pandemic and the alarmingly increasing amount of racial discrimination has shown the good, the bad, and the ugly of our country, and this election couldn't have come at a more important time. The 15th Amendment in 1870 granted all American men the right to vote, and it wasn't until the 19th Amendment in 1920 that gave all American women the right to vote. But the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was written into law to prohibit any and all types of voter discrimination and suppression towards Black Americans. And literacy tests and poll taxes were all considered unconstitutional by 1966 for federal and state and local elections. Problem solved, right? 
not exactly. Now this year it's becoming harder to vote than most because we're experiencing voter suppression before our very eyes in the most important election of our lifetime. The post office is being attacked and is forced to remove some mailboxes from rural and major cities. In states like Kentucky, there are over 3,200 polling locations. And on June 23rd of this year, there were only 200. Jefferson County alone, a predominantly black county in Kentucky, has over 600,000 registered voters, and there was only one polling location. In 19 countries, voting isn't just a civic duty. It's the law and a national holiday, so that it's possible for everyone to vote. Because of compulsory or mandatory voting in Australia alone, they have never had less than a 90% turnout for election days when in 2016, our presidential election um, had 117 million Americans that did not vote, which is so alarming to me. Um, with that being said, Harder, I'll start with you. If America made voting mandatory, do you think it would eliminate voter suppression altogether? Well, I mean, I think that's a huge statement to say that, it, that it's going to eliminate uh, uh, any existing voter suppression, I doubt that that would be the case. However, uh, I think it would be a step, a massive step in the right direction. And I think that especially thinking about numbers for countries that have mandatory voting being as high as 90% that the voter base, the people that show up is 90% of the population. I think that that would be an incredible change for this country. Um, you mentioned uh, making election day a national holiday. I think that that would likely be the most positive first step toward getting a, a turnout of that sort. Opening up windows for low-income families to um, uh, receive a paid day off to just show up at the polls, maybe even garnering just a greater enthusiasm for exercising the right to vote. It's no secret that, especially in our country, um, any time that something is mandated or uh, may involve some type of um, ramification or fee or penalty, uh, it can seem, some people can put their foot down and it, and, it, and it can seem like it's an overreach of the government's power, right? But I think that with time and with generations of new people, young people, getting on board with the idea that, yes, this is my civic duty and this is my obligation as an American citizen, as a citizen of any country, uh, to vote, I think that that cultural change could ease that transition to mandatory voting. I think it'd be really great. I really like what you said about how just changing the cultural mindset of it. I think that's would that would be a key into making voting mandatory. I don't know necessarily. I can't even confidently say myself if I think that's a good idea or a bad idea. But I think just changing the culture of it in general and seeing what other countries are doing for their elections is kind of a way to kind of go about how we would ease into that if that was a possibility. Sean, what do you think? I totally agree. I feel like the idea of making voting a mandatory thing, I feel like we already see quite a decent amount of coercion and pressure from political parties in trying to get people to vote for their party. And I think that if something were to be made mandatory, I think I would be concerned that I would start seeing even more of that. And I also agree with Harder in the sense that 
our country has a little bit of a history of being adverse to certain types of laws that make things mandatory. And I feel like the priority with voting is to make our citizens feel empowered when they vote. And one of the things that I think would be worth reinvestigating in the 21st century is looking into the Electoral College and looking into what is the purpose of the Electoral College in the 21st century and maybe putting a little bit more weight on the popular vote because I think that when you see states that swing a specific, I know that I personally felt this way before where you know, you see a state that swings in a certain direction on a regular basis, there's a disincentive for people to maybe, you know, maybe they vote for that party and they're just like, why does it matter if I vote? You know, like it's already going to go that way or the other way around. Something is just so traditionally one way it can make people feel a little bit helpless when they're considering voting. So I think that if we looked at that kind of stuff in addition to focusing on the local side of eliminating voter suppression, I think that we would see um, a lot more empowerment in our citizens. And I think that that would probably be the most productive step forward in eliminating that. Yeah, I really, I really love what you said about all of that, especially with um, just reconsidering what the Electoral College's purpose is in general. Because as we know, I mean, in 2016 alone, the person who didn't get the popular vote still won because of the Electoral College. And I think that it's worth at least reconsidering how it works and why we still have it. Now, despite all of the examples of voter suppression that we've been seeing and are seeing, let's take it back to the first time we've ever voted. So I wanna ask every one of y'all, what year did you vote for the first time and how did that feel? I'll start with Julia. Oh, I voted for the first time in 2012 and proudly cast my vote for the re-election of Barack Obama. And I, I, I knew my parents are huge on voting. So like, it was always a big, important thing. They always talked about it. They always took me to the polls with them. And like, it was just a part of my life. And so when I got to do it for the first time and getting to cast the vote for someone that I just so viscerally believed in and supported, it was magical. And I remember like when he was inaugurated, although it was the second time, so it felt like a little less special because like everybody loved him. So we knew it was going to have four more years, but like getting to sit in my library at the school and like watch his inauguration, I was like, I, I was a part of that. I cast my vote for him. It was so special. Nice. What about you, Sean? The first time that I voted was in 2008, and I had just gotten to college, so I needed to do an absentee ballot. And, you know, one of the things that I think that is really cool about 2020 is that if you do decide to do something like mail-in voting or an absentee ballot or something like that, you can actually track it. And it was something, like, you can track it as if you track the package that you were getting delivered in the mail. And... Maybe that was something that you could do in 2008, but I certainly didn't know about it. And so I remember casting my ballot absentee and, you know, trusting that it was going to get through. But I also kind of wondered, like, is this getting through? But regardless, the person that I did vote for uh, did end up winning the election. And um, I was really excited about voting at that time. So 
Nice. What about you, Sarah? Uh, first time I voted was also in 2008, and I voted for Obama, and I was in college, and I just remember how exciting it was once we got the results, and people were running in the streets, and everyone was celebrating, and it was just, I'll never forget that moment, and I hope we have something similar coming up in our future. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Harder? Yeah, I think, I think that there is something... Uh, um, wildly special about the 2008 election. I mean, obviously for a few of us here, but there's also something that, that spoiled all of us too, in that uh, um, depending on who we were supporting at the time and, and, and the person, the first person that I voted for was Barack Obama. And it uh, that election brought me into the fray of, of uh, being engaged in politics in general. Uh, I think it really provided um, uh, uh, some perspective as to um, how I was going to conduct myself as a citizen and, and exercise my rights. And uh, to have it turn out so positively and, and the following election going in the, in the same direction, I think that that um, set a precedent. Uh, but yeah, I was also amongst the people who were uh, in Grant Park when he was inaugurated, uh, caught up in the thousands of hopeful um, citizens as well. So that was that was a really exciting moment. I feel like that must have been really cool to because Harder is from Chicago, yes. And so I feel like it must have been a really special experience to be in Chicago during that moment. So I just love everything about that. And I feel like, so I, I guess I didn't really think about how we all share the same first election because that was the first, that was also the first election I voted in. And I think something that's really special about voting for the first time is that that's when you really feel like you have your own voice. And I feel like, you know, you grow up knowing what your parents know and you grow up knowing whoever raised you knows. And so once you finally get to that age and you're able to participate in the election, that's when you truly find your own voice in helping the country go one way or another. And I think that's just a really big moment. So for all of you first time voters out there, I'm so excited for you. Please, please, please go vote. Please go vote. Thanks for listening, Honor and Newfoundlanders. We're gonna take a very quick break and be right back. So, moving on, our incredible wardrobe supervisor extraordinaire is a volunteer for When We All Vote. So, Sarah, could you tell us a little bit more about this organization and what you do to volunteer? Yeah, so uh, When We All Vote is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization uh, with a mission to increase participation in every election and close the race and age voting gap by changing the culture around voting. Uh, it started in 2018 by Michelle Obama. Um, and you can volunteer also to get the word out by only just helping your friends and family to get registered, make sure they get their ballot. But you can also join me. I'm part of the texting team. And we text voters to help them get registered, know where to drop off their ballots, and keep them informed on important dates they need to be aware of. Um, there's also a voter resources hub, which is at weall.vote slash hub, which is where you can check out for yourself, request your ballot, register to vote, change your registration, 
um, even update your address. You can find your polling place, research your ballot, pledge to vote, and most importantly, you can learn about your voting rights. It tells you what voter suppression looks like and what you can do to help stop it. It also tells you what you should bring with you to the polls and even what your rights are if you have a felony. All right. Well, come on when we all vote. We will definitely put that information in our bio so that everyone can have more information on it. So thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing that. And thank you for volunteering to do that as well. We need more. I love that um, some of y'all here with us are volunteering at the polls or volunteering for when we all vote. That is just, the, those are the kind of actions that we need to take during this election especially. So thank you for doing that. Um, and speaking of volunteers, another one of our panelists here is a volunteer for Power the Polls. So Julia, what do you do for this organization and how did you get involved? Yeah, um, Power the Polls is an organization that is trying to recruit over 250,000 poll workers for Election Day. And it's super important and I'm super passionate about it because we have a huge shortage and, you know, obviously that's because of a couple of reasons, but primarily 56% of poll workers are over the age of 60. And obviously that demographic is at a higher risk of contracting COVID or, you know, being endangered because of that contracting COVID. And so Power the Polls is trying to excite another generation, our generation, the millennials, Gen Z, to get out and take a seat at the table and help share and shape our democracy. And so at powerthepolls.org, you can sign up to be a poll worker on election day. And it is so important that we have enough poll workers because when we don't, polling sites are shut down. And as we've learned through our talk this afternoon, um, that disproportionately affects people of color. It disproportionately affects um, lower income communities. And those are the people who have their polling sites taken away when we don't have enough volunteers. And they may have to go to three towns over to stand in a five hour line before or after work and, you know, may walk in like they did in Georgia this summer and have machines that don't work. So we need to get as many people on the ground as possible, volunteering to work the polls, to make sure everybody's safe and wearing a mask. And um, it's something that you can do right now, um, especially those of us who are unemployed. So get out there. <laughs> and yes, there are a few of us who are unemployed at the moment. So maybe volunteering is the best <laughs> thing we can do. Um, so thank you so much, Julia, for sharing that. Thank you for contributing and pledging to vote more, most importantly. Now, before we go, is there anything else that our lovely panelists would like to add? Julia? I have two little things to say. Uh, first, when we were talking about mandatory voting, um, the, the thing that kept running through my mind is they make us pay taxes. So why can't they make us vote, you know? And the second thing is um, when we were chatting about the Electoral College, something I only just found out this year is the history of the Electoral College and why it exists in the first place. And it's pretty disheartening to learn that at the time of the Civil War and the years after that, they, the North had a lot more people, a lot more white people than the South did. And the South was outnumbered by African-American slaves. And so when they were voting, the North kept winning and was, they were moving closer and closer to abolition and, and all of these issues that the South was really adamant about. So the South actually invented the Electoral College to use the bodies of the slaves as 
votes without giving them the right to vote themselves. And so it is a population-based workaround. And um, it's pretty upsetting that it still is here today when it has such um, abhorrent has such an abhorrent um, start. Yeah, it's <clears throat> that's definitely something that a lot of the history books don't write about. And I feel like the Electoral College is absolutely something to just reconsider at the very least yeah. and, re and just reconsider why it's still here or why we still have it in the first place. Sean, did you? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add something as well. And um, in relation to what Julia was talking about a moment ago with the Electoral College, there's a great article in The Atlantic that uh, we can put in the description that would be a, a great place to start if you're somebody who does not know that much about the history of the Electoral College and, you know, kind of piggybacking on that idea. I think that one of the problems that, you know, I personally feel like I've experienced when uh, dealing with my emotions regarding government uh, and big government, it's big government and small government. And I think that there's an, there's something that I think as Americans, we need to start taking a little bit more of a responsibility with paying attention to what's happening in our local government. And I think that we tend to just assume that things are just going the way that we want them to go, you know? But then, you know, you have these situations where we complain about infrastructure in our towns and we complain about something that's happening around, you know, every town, every city has something different that's going on. And we have these issues with stuff, but then we don't actually look into what's happening in our local government. And the problems that we may feel like are happening in the larger elements of government, I think manifest themselves in the more localized level of things. So as we're all planning on going out to vote in the presidential election now, I think that it's really important for us to start thinking about who is in our local government, you know, in where I live now in Hartford, you know, what is happening in Hartford? Like, who's the mayor of Hartford? Who is the mayor of West Hartford? Who are the people that are running the place that I live and that I love and that I know more than I know about the rest of the country? And I think that that's just something to really think about as we move forward. We live in a society now where we just have a lot more opportunities to be held accountable because of social media and because of the internet, but we also have more resources that can empower us and kind of give us an opportunity to learn about things that maybe 10, 15 years ago or 20 or 30 years ago, it would be harder for us to actually get that knowledge and that information. So just another thing I was thinking about as we were talking. I'm really glad that you said that too, because um, I went to the March on Washington. Julia was also there with her husband. Um, so we, I went to this march and one of the speak, one of the speakers who was there, obviously Al Roker, who is a huge influence just in Black Lives Matter alone. Al Roker said something that really resonated with me, which was he said to vote all the way down. Because, you know, we see at the top of that list that, you know, the president, uh, you know, vote for the president, of course. And then, like you said, there have been some people in the past who have gone into the polls and just said, oh, well, I'm definitely voting blue or I'm voting red or whatever. But I'm assuming, well, you know, since these people are also in my party that I would vote for them anyway, so I'm just going to fill in the blanks. And 
it's just like you said, you know, we have to know everything that's happening in our own circles and our own cities and towns because it all trickles out at the end of the day. If systemic racism, and we talked about this a lot in the last episode, but if systemic racism and certain things that founded our country trickle down to every industry that we're in, it also, what can counter that is when we put the... Um, when we put either kindness in our world or we call out the things that are unjust in our world, in our own circles, because then that trickles out as well and goes out to beyond what we even know could be a thing. So I'm really glad that you said that as well. Thank you, Sean. Harder? Yeah, I was just going to say something really quick that I think that thinking what you said about our circles are uh, the people that we communicate with on a regular basis, the people that we live our lives around. I think that we may have a tendency as a society to sometimes conflate that with our social media circles too. So I think that there are that uh, thinking about ways in which we can engage in local government and voting all the way down and knowing what's happening in our communities and what kind of infrastructure do we want to invest in or or who's being oppressed that we live next door to. I think we can educate ourselves in a more effective way. Are we reading the local newspaper in addition to uh, following what's going on in everybody's lives on, on online? Because certainly at a time like this, there's a lot of information being passed left and right about national election, about the big stuff, when all of the little stuff also affects us. So just a thought. Thank you so much for saying that, Harder. So at the end of each episode, we will shout out an organization that is significant to us that you can donate to. But since voting is free 99, we want to make sure you honorary Newfoundlanders and listeners and fans out there not only are prepared to vote, but are excited to vote and that you have all the resources you need to do so. So want to check out your voter registration status or apply for a ballot by mail, whenweallvote.org and vote.org will provide a user-friendly way to make sure you're all set for the polls and you can look out for those links in our bio as well as the Power the Polls website as well. We'll make sure to put that in the bio. And remember, we're not free until we're all free. So thank you so much to these panelists for joining me today for this episode. You all are doing amazing work with either volunteering and just making sure that people are getting out there to vote. So we encourage every listener and every honorary Newfoundlander out there listening to go vote. Hey, honorary Newfoundlanders, thank you so much for tuning in to our second episode. A portion of our ad revenue will be going to whenweallvote.org and powerthepolls.org. Thank you once again for listening in and please tune in for our next episode, which will be about pride and black trans lives. Stay safe. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.